Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we continue our study of the book of Jude. False teaching and apostasy had entered the church in Asia Minor, and Jude addresses this problem in his letter. Our lesson this week will be taught by Associate Pastor Scott Basolo, a new voice on Heritage Bible Radio. Please listen to Pastor Scott as he delivers the Thursday portion of this week's message entitled, Details and Distractions of Faith. Verse 4 gives us the opponents in this battle where it says, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. These individuals have come into the church and no one is initially alerted to their presence. They have come in stealthily. The verb used only here in the New Testament means to go down into and to settle alongside. It's as if they've slid in a side door undetected. This is a subtle insinuation of something evil in the church, as one commentator notes. We see Paul decrying a similar situation in Galatians 2.4. Paul writes in Galatians 2 and 4, But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in, who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus in order to bring us to bondage. Paul identified these who were being secretly brought in. The world is contrary to the truth of our faith. And the one who empowers them, God's enemy and ours, is seeking to send in emissaries to the church to come in so that they may take into bondage all those who believe in the faith of Christ. And their designation here in verse 4 as certain ones is often a negative implication in Scripture. There's often an insidious nature to that term, certain ones. Note that as you see it elsewise in your study. It's showing a clear distinction between the ones back in verse 3 who were saints to these certain ones who are completely contrary to the work of those saints. Then we get a very interesting designation next as their origin. They are those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. The tense of this passage passive perfect verb shows that this was written down in the distant past and yet the effects are felt yet today and will continue to have an impact. The actions of these were spoken all the way back in the Old Testament and in the verses ahead we'll see examples of this from Genesis 6, Sodom and Gomorrah and many other locations. These also are the very ones that Jesus denounced in Matthew 7:15 where he said, "Beware of the false prophets who come into you in sheep's clothing, 
but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Paul also warning of these in Acts 20, 29, where he writes, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. I don't know what your thoughts were about the reintroduction of the wolves into Idaho, and I don't want to get into the politics of it. But my dad lived 45 miles down a dirt road down below Shoup, Idaho, where he had ample opportunity to see the impact of wolves on herds of deer and elk. You see, a pack of wolf does not come in and find the weak animal and take it down so as to eat it and feed themselves and their young and go on. No, a pack of wolves comes into a herd of animals, hamstringing the animals, leaving them helpless, unable to move, and moving on to the next animal, trying to destroy the entire herd. It is a bloody and gruesome scene. And this is the effect of those that are coming to take us down. Not just him, not just him, all of us. And that's why we see such graphic pictures. Their condemnation is the guilty verdict, which is next established in verse 4, and also the sentencing, which will be established in the next verses throughout this great book. Their guilty verdict is established by three aspects in verse 4. First, they're guilty of being ungodly. Jude uses this word more than any other book in the New Testament. Over two to one against the nearest uh, higher usage in 2 Peter. In verse 15 of Jude, he uses the word ungodly four times in one verse. And the word means that there was absolutely no reverence for God in their lives. Psalm 36.1 perfectly conveys this where the psalmist says, Transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. There is no desire for God amongst the ungodly. There is no fear which is the beginning of wisdom. Rather iniquity and sin and unrighteousness speak in his heart proudly proclaiming that this is who we are in our lives. This is the perspective and the truth of the ungodly. Literally, the word means without worship. Those that come into our presence, they would not sit and worship as we just did in the rejoicing over the hymns of faith. They would not worship and sit and listen and seek to be instructed in God's word but rather what we would see from their evident lifestyles is that their purpose is to corrupt and to steal from the church, as Dr. MacArthur notes. Second, they are guilty of turning God's grace into licentiousness. God's grace is his unmerited favor. The other side of the coin is mercy. Mercy being not receiving what we deserve. And what we deserve is eternal punishment for our sin. The other side, grace, is getting what we don't deserve, which is God's gift of eternal life. I learned while I was in Africa that in Swahili, these two elements of grace and mercy being two sides of a coin are beautifully conveyed in the language. That the word grace in Swahili is nema. The word mercy in Swahili is rahema. 
Nema and Rahema, these parallel elements on two sides of a coin of grace and mercy. Well, what is the licentiousness for which this grace of God is wrongly exposed? Licentiousness is unrestrained vice or gross immorality. It is open flaunting of sexual immorality. One commentator well describes it as a shameless lifestyle indulging in unchecked and open immorality. Another describes it as every excess of indecency, carnal defilement, and fleshly indulgence. Lenski well adds that it's not just moral excesses, but it's running wild in all kinds of excesses of sin. Paul describes it in Romans 1.26 this way. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And he puts a capstone on it in verse 32 of Romans 1. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. And all of this flaunting God's gift of grace in his face. As if as a believer, one can live in unrepentant sin, let alone freely practicing this in every public and private arena. This is the false doctrine of antinomianism. The word antinomian means lawlessness. It is the view that Christians saved by grace are able to live lives however they want, sin as often as they want because Christ has died for their sin and they don't have to worry about it. This is the free grace movement of our day where as an example, alleged believers, and that's what they are, they are alleged and not true, go out and get raucously drunk and engage in horrific immorality and claim that they can do this on Saturday night and it's fine to come to church on Sunday with no guilt or consideration. As if somehow that we can live in this wanton sin and that God's blood will cover it and we don't need to consider it. Does Scripture say something about that? I think that it does. In Romans 6 and verse 1 where Paul says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? If we are believers in Christ, we must recognize the sin that's in ourselves and fight it with every element of our being. Thirdly, they are guilty of denying our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Commentator Lawler identifies this denial as attacking of four separate aspects of the second person of the Trinity. It is attacking that He is Master or that He is the Sovereign of the world. It is attacking that He is Lord or that He is Ruler over all. It is attacking that He is the man, Jesus, who is Savior. It is attacking that he is Christ, the promised Messiah, come to bring forth the new covenant. These disavowals directly impact two critical spheres of who Jesus is. That of the coming king who will rule all the created realm. And that of the coming judge 
who will call to account all lawlessness. If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.